Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. Hello and welcome to this week's feature episode of Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet. My name's Chris Murray. I am in the hosting chair for today. You all know the drill by now. We post a brand new feature every single Tuesday, a new draft show every Saturday, and a whole host of other content in between. Just search Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet to get yourself hooked up. Now, today's panel has been adjusted somewhat. Um, You might say ravaged. We are down to three. Rest in peace, Stephen and Derek, who are supposed to be joining us. So we are left with ESSR's very own Triangle of Terror. (laughs) However, since this show is full of positivity and happiness, and we decided to record this half an hour ago, we're going to do the intro a little bit different. So before we get into what today's show is all about, I'm going to introduce you to my panel members and... I'm going to ask them to tell me something good that's happened recently. And I want one wrestling thing, like a plug for a recent show or something that you've enjoyed on TV. And then I want one non-wrestling thing. So two things that we can celebrate. Guys, I will start. I'll get us underway. My two things are, in a wrestling sense, for the benefit of us who are recording this on Zoom, I have just bought a new CM Punk t-shirt to add to my already CM Punk t-shirt. It is the full 2011, was it 2011? Pipe bomb speech written out on a t-shirt. I thought it was really cool and then I bought it and was like, ah, it's kind of hard to read. People are going to have to get really close to me to actually read this in a world where you're not supposed to be getting really close to people. So that's my wrestling positivity news of the week. And uh, my non-wrestling one's not that good. Uh, We just defrosted our freezer in the Murray household. It was a really exciting moment. The door hasn't closed for ages. And uh, yeah, so that's been dealt with. So that's my two pieces of positivity. We'll move now to the one and only Gary Kernahan. Gary, tell me what your two pieces of positivity are for this week. Thank you, Chris. I'd like to think of us as a match made in heaven rather than the (laughs) triangle of terror. Um, I mean, there's been... A lot of fun things recently. Like I, I'm a big sports fan, so got the Olympics on just now, which I've been enjoying watching some randomness of that. The football is back. I've been at some games. Um, but on a wrestling-related point of view, I think it has been great to see fans back in arenas and what a difference that has made. Um, and on this podcast, I've been loving these shows we've been doing where we've been jumping back in our time machines and looking at other shows that we did uh, review back of Invasion recently, 25 years later. And um, that that was a lot of fun. And like today's show, we'll sort of challenge some of the memories you may have of the of the fun um and a non-wrestling point of view i know i mentioned about sports but um i'm training for the virtual london marathon just now so i went and ran uh 20 kilometers yesterday and i can still walk today so i'm pleased with that although my toes are in a bit of a mess chris i'll send you a picture afterwards 20 kilometers good god (laughs) 
I mean, this isn't great radio, uh, great audio, but I'll show you guys a picture of my toe from yesterday. I'm going to describe oh, this as I, I see it. Look at that. Oh my God. If you send that to someone on the internet, you might get your Twitter account banned. That's the sort of girth know. we're talking about <laughs> in this toe. Yeah, that's disgusting, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> oh, Gary. Well, at least from the ankle oh, that's up you're with us in, in full health. Um, Join us, of course, is Scott McLeod. Scott, you've got the intro all to yourself. There's no mention of Ross here. You can just decide just now what your wrestling positivity and non-wrestling positivity, positivity is for this week. Well, if you're not going to mention Ross, I'm going to have to because me and Ross recently did this week's episode of ASSR Central. Uh, Luckily, we decided to record it a day later than we were going to. Otherwise, we wouldn't have had the CM Punk, Daniel Bryan, Denzel Story, or this or the story of uh, Punk maybe being in the main event of All Out because apparently Hangman versus Kenny is off and everything. So, but other than that, it was a bit of a slow news week. And also next week on, on Saturday Draft Live, you can hear the OG team of myself and David Campbell will be the, stepping into the hosting chair because we're on this rotational basis of that show. Uh, and an on wrestling positivity, uh, I know I'm not quite the marathon man that Gary is, but uh, <laughs> when I can remember to to put my pedometer on that's on my phone, uh, mostly through walking the dog or other things, uh, for the month of July, I've walked more than 40 combined miles for the month oh, wow. of July, which is uh, which I wouldn't have walked otherwise if I didn't mainly have the dog. So that's something. That's really impressive. I love that both of your stories are to do with fitness and mine is to do with ice. <laughs> <laughs> well, Well, you know, we don't walk on the wild side like you do, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. I'll take it. Uh, guys, the reason we're being so positive is we are watching one of the happiest pay-per-views <laughs> in wrestling history. We're going back 30 years this month to SummerSlam 1991. Now, I'm really excited to dive into this. Gary, we were talking just before you got on air, and I actually remembered this from the last time we were on. Did you not say that this is one of your favorite wrestling pay-per-views? All time, all time favourites, Chris. I um, growing up, I didn't have Sky in, in our house, so my dad had a great aunt that used to get Sky, and Sky movies was often the place that WWE pay per views were on for some reason. So Auntie Ruby and Uncle John used to record these for us, and we'd go and get and give them a VHS, and then take it back off them. And also my brother and I used to go to Global Video and we would hire VHSs from them and we'd hook one VHS up in the house to another one so we could copy the VHSs. <laughs> so we had like this whole stream of um, pirate v- WWF VHSs. So I have, I still have this upstairs in the loft. I have got the VHS that either we got from Auntie Ruby or from the global pirate global video of SummerSlam 1991, and it used to have Batman on it beforehand. So it's <laughs> the sticker on it's got Batman scored out, and it says the best ever SummerSlam because I absolutely loved this show. Yes, and it's just yeah, one of my favourites, and I've been so looking forward to to talking about it. That's brilliant. I I love the global video piracy. Uh, well, let's face it, you're still here. Global video's not. So who won that exchange? <laughs> <laughs> um, Scott, do you remember? Had you seen this pay per view before we watched it this week or at all? Uh, not in full. I'd seen bits and pieces of it. Also, I knew everything about the the controversy surrounding Warrior post his match through various documentaries. It's a well known thing by now. 
uh, the, the heart, uh, one of the few matches I'd seen was the heart perfect match because years ago I had this three disc uh, set I got one time. It was the history of the Intercontinental Championship and there were a bunch of like old matches through it and I'm pretty sure the heart perfect match was on that. So I'd definitely seen that match. I knew about the uh, the Virgil DiBiase feud, but I knew I knew most of the matches that were on this, but I hadn't actually seen them uh, in full. I mean, the most memorable thing I knew about the wedding is even showing on the network version. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, of course. And um, we'll get to that towards the end of the show. But yes, SummerSlam 1991. It's the match made in heaven and the match made in hell. <laughs> and the main event, Randy Savage marrying Miss Elizabeth and in the other main event, Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior team up to take on the core of Colonel Mustafa, General Adnan and Sergeant Slaughter. So that is your double main event. We kick off the show with a throat-burning intro from Vince McMahon. Summertime and the loving, or living? Is it living or living? Summertime and the living is anything but easy. I like that nice little reference to Ella Fitzgerald, I think, who sung it originally, but I know the version by Sublime. If there's any fans of Sublime and Eat, Sleep, Suplex, Retweet, get in touch with me. We'll be best friends. Um, I, I love the I love that um, this is what they went with as the main event, because if, if you watched The Last Mania, you are the mania before mm-hmm. that. You probably had to pick between Hulk Hogan and Ultimate Warrior for who you um, supported in that big, huge main event match of WrestleMania 7, was it? Or, or 6? Yeah, I can't quite. WrestleMania yeah. 6. Yeah. yeah. So it's good that eventually you get to see these guys together and being able to support them together. I quite like that. Uh, it was beautiful seeing Madison Square Garden in its old form and the crowd just going mad for absolutely everything. I love the commentary team. I thought yeah. that Roddy Piper was just insane. You normally have an over-the-top heel support, but Piper is like an over-the-top face support. He yeah. just screams his love for every face on the card, and I thought that and worked I- quite nicely with the heel commentator of Bobby Heenan and Gorilla doing his main play-by-play as well. So, and do you want Piper to get? In- was, Piper was in incredible shape. He was wearing that uh, sort of rugby-type shirt right down to his midriff, mm-hmm. and you could see the abs on him. He, he was in incredible, incredible shape. And just to say what you did, they did the uh, at Madison Square Garden. They did this camera angle from like the top of the building. It was zooming out and then up to the top of the building, which I always thought made the building look absolutely enormous. And I've been in Madison Square Garden now and it doesn't have that same, you know, it's a 20,000 seat stadium. It doesn't have that sort of, you know, it doesn't feel like an enormous arena. Um, but it did in this night. It felt enormous. And what you said about the the, the crowd, they were really hot. And uh, I love the old style SummerSlam logo and the theme music that they used. Yeah, uh, I love it. I, I think that when they eventually did up Madison Square Garden, you see it more recently because we've done... We have done a bunch of pay-per-views now that have came from Madison Square Garden. We had mm-hmm. WrestleMania 10, WrestleMania 20, and there's the other one as well that I've forgotten. It's like an, a non-main show. So they've been there a while, and it just doesn't look the same since they did it up. And that, that camera angle is a thing that they do a lot in this show, where they sort of, they'll start in the crowd and pan, and as you say, it just makes everything look massive. Like, for, for comparison, like, the Hydro in Glasgow is a 20,000 yeah. arena, and I 
bet it doesn't look anywhere near. <laughs> Watch back ICW free and loathing to see how small it looks. <laughs> <laughs> right, so the opening match. Oh my God, the gimmicks. It's a six-man tag team match between the Dragon, the Texas Tornado, and the <laughs> British Bulldog taking on the Warlord and Power and Glory. Hercules and Paul Roma managed by Slick. I love that this was six different wrestlers with six different unique gimmicks. I love the dragon's fire breathing. I love that the heels didn't get any entrance. It was just, oh man, I was just ready for this. Scott, what did you think of this opening six-man tag match? Yeah, just say, like, I loved the expression of the, the intro because Vince is like very deep, very gravelly. Vince the man voice, you know, he's totally not changing for either the match made in heaven or the match made in hell. It suits for the match being held, but then when he's reading out the phrase, Mr. Elizabeth Brand Savage requests the honour of your presence, and he's very, very Brand McMahon voice. Like, I think Stephen and Laura are really missing out on the opportunity not to have some pay somebody to do that when they send out their invitations for their win. <laughs> I request the honour of your presence. <laughs> but also, the commentary, Monsoon very much fell at points like a dad sitting between two, like, arguing children. We were very. Really, we were getting to a stage at one point where we're very close to everyone soon threatened to turn the car around or there'd be no SummerSlam for anybody. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, as for this match, uh, like the dragon, they show the, the dragon weird because the whole thing about him is him spitting his fire. But they shoot him from the back, so you don't even get to get see the best angle of him shooting his fire out. Uh, <laughs> match was a bit of a mess for me because I don't think anybody knew who was legal. I'm pretty sure Bulldog was meant to be legal with Roma, but it was... Dragon and Roma that were involved in the finish. Uh, also, an uh, interesting fact I found out, uh, do you know apparently the Warlord and Bulldog face off in one way or another at every pay-per-view in 1991? Obviously, they're in the, the Royal Rumble together. They're in this six-man tag. I think they're on opposite ends of a Survivor Series match. Yeah, that's right. Uh, sorry, and they have singles matches at both WrestleMania and this Tuesday in Texas. The, the John Cena Randy Orton of their day. <laughs> I thought it was a really interesting choice for opener because there's eight matches on the card and there's two of them that don't really have any story. So opening up a, a pay-per-view with a cold match is always dangerous, but the faces in this instance were so over that and their gimmicks, as particularly the dragons, were so outlandish and this crowd was so hot that it worked. Uncle Dave gave it a two and a quarter star for it. I thought in the match, I thought Steamboat looked really good in it. Uh, his arm drags in particular looked lethal. Um, it was interesting with Steamboat because obviously he had a run in WWF, uh, WrestleMania 3 through to 4 time. It went away, came back in March of this year as the Dragon uh, and this was his only pay-per-view appearance of that run, and he was out the door come November, so he was not long for this world. Yeah, the Warlord is absolutely built like a brick shit house. Um, I thought it was interesting that he kicked out of the Texas Tornado Punch, which you didn't see. You know, finishes were fairly, really, sorry, fairly protected back in the day. Uh, I thought it was a good match. Um, the Warlord was a bit slow to break up a pinfall just before the end after the Bulldog hit the running power slam on uh, Paul Roma. So Roma ended up having to kick out. So there was two finishes kicked out of there. And um, 
the match finished with uh, Steamboat's high cross body block on uh, Roma. But I thought, you know, a decent start to the uh, show, but I thought it was a curious choice to go on with first, but um, the crowd were so hot that they went with it and the baby faces were so popular that, um, that I thought it worked. And yes, you say, quite interesting, the bad guys got no entrance and we've seen that later on in the show, didn't we? Um, WWE was still... And knew not everybody had entrance music back in the day. Yeah, it's very, very strange, but it just hypes up the how much everybody loved the the faces even more. So, like, I thought they all, in their own ways, had they brought quite a lot to the table. Like, yeah. I loved how, like, Kerry Von Eric. I, I think he should have been a huge star in the WWF. I, I think maybe. Vince probably was if Vince knew about the whole foot amputation thing maybe he was a bit stressed about that maybe he was bothered that you know Kerry had come in from another company and he didn't want to make him a star but I thought Kerry Von Eric looked amazing I thought he could have been the ultimate warrior he's a better wrestler than him uh, he's you know kind of just as ripped he's not quite as huge but he's definitely kind of chiseled and um yeah, I thought the dragon looked really good. It was very, very strange how they just don't talk about his past at all. I think the story goes, yeah. Scott, you'll probably know this better than me. I think the story goes that Steamboat wanted time off to raise his kids. And mm-hmm. Vince was like, no, screw yourself. So he <laughs> left and went to WCW, had those great matches with Ric Flair. I think in this time becomes either, well, it must have been NWA champion at that time. Sacks it off after a while and comes back to the WWF. And um, I think, uh, as you say, after this, I think November he leaves, goes back to WCW and wins the tag belts with Dusty. So mm-hmm. he had an okay time. Yeah. There was, there was. Sorry, Scott. I was going to say, yeah, because I think it was actually not long after he won the IC title that he asked for the time off. So I think Vince was a bit like, I'm giving you our second most important belt and you're asking for time off. I think if it, you, you know, even though Steamboat, I think, was very much still on the right here. And so I think this is Vince's way of kind of. Getting back at him and yeah, he had that run in, in WCW as the, the world champion, the trilogy of matches with Ric Flair. So it's yeah. kind of weird. Like, uh, but I think it was like we're getting into, we're passing the threshold of golden and a new gen era. So uh, this is where everyone's getting more gimmicky in their characters. And I think Paul Rome actually, this is his last WF pay per view. I think they need to go back to WCW and uh, questionably join the Four Horsemen. He's one of the, uh, <laughs> one of the few members that's not looked back on so fondly as part of that group. Yeah, absolutely. This SummerSlam had a real sort of variety show feel mm-hmm. to it to me, and this match falls into that category. There was something on the cards uh, for everybody, I think, on it. But yeah, what you guys were saying about Steamboat's interesting because at WrestleMania uh, 4 with the tournament, there was a big deal made of introducing the little dragon, Steamboat's <laughs> uh, kid, and I think he even came to the ring with the kid. Yep. Uh, there, uh, it's just interesting that that was the story, you know, the story behind the scenes versus what was presented in camera. <laughs> yeah, uh, the, the the overlap is is very very strange. That would have been Richie Steamboat, right? Mm. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, we've came full circle. Yeah, uh, I loved the straightaway. Just loved the commentary. There was so many bits of back and forth between Heenan and Piper that I thought was brilliant. Like at one point, Gorilla Monsoon speculates whether Bobby Heenan should get back out to managing to manage Roddy Piper and Heenan says I wouldn't manage him you know those Scots what would I get paid 15 bucks a year (laughs) 
There was loads of little one-liners between the two of them and, and Monsoon's, uh, will you be serious? <laughs> yes. We'll go, I've got so many of those written down. Just, will you stop? Um, yeah, just absolutely brilliant. As you said, the finish, Roma goes for some sort of back attack while Warlord is holding Steamer. He doesn't jump high enough and ends up giving him some sort of flying bumming, uh, which I thought was a great move. Um, <laughs> we had this... Uh, Brilliant top rope guillotine by Hercules on Dragon. Dragon spits into the air and it just looks brilliant. And then the combo Bulldog is a, a Death Valley driver that Bulldog does to Romo, Roma with um, a Tornado doing the claw in the corner, which is a cool sort of Von Eric bit of history there. Um, there's a bit of confusion before Dragon eventually finishes finishes it with the crossbody on Roma. Heenan can't even berate this match. He's like, you'll only see action like that in the World Wrestling Federation. I thought that was cool. Just the mm-hmm. action being so good that they have to praise it. So yes, good. Good opener. But yes, as you say, Gary, it is a little bit confusing. We roll on to our first promo of the night. And if you watched Primetime Wrestling or Superstars of Wrestling for the month and a half before this, I didn't, guys. (laughs) You would have seen this exact promo many times. Many different plays on words of just perfect, best there is, best there was, all of this. Excellent execution. So I just wrote down one line. And I guess if you heard this for the first time on this pay-per-view, it sounds really good. For you to be for you to be a champion, you would have to be perfect. You are excellent, Brett, but you're not perfect. Uh, Really like that. Why would you ever think that Mr. Perfect needs a manager? I'm still asking myself that to this day. The coach must be the most useless manager ever in this one. The only good thing that he did was that during the match, he got in the ring apron and Brett hit him off it. And Bobby Heenan screams out a great line, which I thought, he hit a man with glasses. (laughs) (laughs) Entirely pointless. I just wrote down Mr. Perfect and some whistle dick. And we'll get to him a bit more later on. And we roll on now to possibly the best match of the evening. It's the WWF Intercontinental Championship match. Brett the Hitman Hart taking on the champion, Mr. Perfect. Crowd, once again, are absolutely insane for the Hitman. I would say 99.99999% of the audience are absolutely ecstatic to see him there. I say 99.99 because there's two people who are not ecstatic to see him there, and that is his parents, Stu and Helen Hart, looking absolutely disgusted with Brett, as always, throughout the match. We have come to expect this at every pay-per-view. WrestleMania, is it WrestleMania 11 where, or 10, sorry, when he wins the belt and Stu's just like grumbling away in the background? Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on Perfect's entrance, um, I don't know what our Sweden policy is on ESSR, but with <laughs> the the brilliant en- entrance by the Fink, he says, led to the ring by Kurt. And it, I was like, did he just say, see you next Tuesday? <laughs> but no, I, I've since discovered that he says coach. Um, but yes, this is John Tolos on, and I've got a fun fact about coach on December 28th, 1963. Him and his brother beat Killer Kowalski and Gorilla Monsoon for the WWF United States Tag Team Championships. I thought it was quite funny because Gorilla's now on commentary. What what an insight, Chris Murray. <laughs> yeah, I, I had to find out who this guy was. If As soon as I discovered him, I was like, I hate you and I must know everything about you. So yes, the Intercontinental Championship match. Um, two stars of the WWF at this time. Uh, Scott, what did you think about these two going up against each other? 
It's perfect. You said we're not near match. I think the coach is actually third manager at WAF. He had a brief run with the genius as his manager, which is mainly memorable for the fact that BK tried to cut his hair at Mania 6 without him knowing, and it caused Randy Savage to go off his nut because <laughs> the genius was his brother. And then you'll see Atinan, which I think suited them. They're very much the punk Heyman of their day, and they're both good talkers. And so they complement each other. Nobody's like doing the talking for the other. And then the coach. Nah. Yeah, no, I, I just put a bit of coach. He had the whistle gimmick long before Bill Alfonso did in ECW. Uh, I, I enjoyed the match. Uh, it's weird that because Perfect, uh, it, it's better. You have more respect for Perfect knowing how bad his back was uh, mm-hmm. going into this. I think he wouldn't wrestle again after this match till Survivor Series '92, and then he'd wrestle for a year and then take some time out again because uh, his back became a big issue going forward. Uh, I do think they have a match at King of the Ring 93, which I prefer slightly to this because uh, you can actually tell when uh, when Perfect's on offense that he's moving a lot slower. He's a lot more punch-kicky than technical as opposed to when Brett's on offense. But, you know, still, you know, Perfect is bumping like a boss whenever Brett's on offense, maybe to the detriment of his, his injured back. And mm. the longer the match goes, he's got the proper dull Ziggler frizz in his hair to Mr. Perfect. I was just going to say, like, I think I agree with you on the 93 King of the Ring match. However, this had, like, the pump of it because I feel mm-hmm. like this was still pure golden era WWF and and that's why uh, I loved it so much. Um, once we get into the match, I've got, <laughs> already got two examples of gorillas. Will you stop? Um, the first one being the cameras cut to the uh, hearts and the crowd once again and Gorilla speculates that they're looking concerned for Brett and he goes, you know why they're concerned? They snuck in and the archers are looking for them. Well, you stop! Loved it, loved it. Um, Okay, so um, I hate to criticise this this match but I have the tiniest, tiniest little criticism. All the way through the match, rest holds from Brett on perfect. Now, I don't mind the rest holds. I think they're much worse now than they were back then. But, Gary, tell me this. Why is Brett working the head if his finisher is the sharpshooter? Yeah, I mean, that part doesn't make much sense. All I can assume, Chris, is it's because of Perfect's injury, sorry, uh, and it's to give him a, a, a breather there. There, I thought this for me. You know, Brett. Brett was my my hero. So this was, I think, I look back and this is Brett's breakout match. And Uncle Dave gave it four four at five stars for it. I thought it was a good technical match with some hard hitting aspects to it and some nice story to it. There were some nice moments with like quite vicious looking hip toss tosses and the hair pulling where Perfect would cheat and Brett would give him a bit back of it which I quite liked um, as well there's some bits in it with Perfect getting like, pissed off at the referee which I quite liked when the ref was a bit slow to get down for a count after they kind of like fell off the top rope and Perfect was like slapping the referee a bit which uh, I quite liked there uh, there was a cracking bit on it where Perfect would grab Brett by the hair and like kind of like throw him across the ring. So Brett later on gets him back, but throws Perfect. Perfect slides all the way across the ring, uh, ring and um, finds himself with one leg on either side of the ring post, which I think uh, is a... Um, uh, Piper says he'll be singing in the Vienna Boys Choir after that. 
<laughs> I actually looked this up, and uh, Vienna's uh, Vienna Boys Choir is probably like the most famous choir in the world. I was yeah. like, who are the Vienna Boys Choir? I've never heard of this, but yeah, it turns out they're a massive deal. So I don't know if maybe in 1991 that was like a huge reference. Yeah, there was another great line between Piper and Heenan where Heenan said about Piper's parents that Piper came home from school to think his parents had moved houses. <laughs> Um, I thought uh, there was uh, so much about this match that I did really uh, enjoy um, as well. Perfect was like desperate to win, trying to keep the title. Um, you know, he tried to walk out during the match. There was this great bit in it where he was just like, see, like kind of pissed off and just like punting Brett, like run up kicks. And then Brett gave it back to him a bit later on uh, where he was kicking his leg out from underneath him as well. We've seen the kick out from the perfect plex, which the commentators made a big deal about of him being the first person to do so. But interesting enough for this show, that's the third finish that's been uh, kicked out of there. And we started to see Brett's moveset uh, develop in this match so the signature spots that he went on to do the Russian leg sweep the elbow from the second rope he started to do these moves but not quite in the order that he would come to do them in, in the future uh, as well which I thought was good and also quite like the 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 way Brett got the sharpshooter on in this match where Perfect um, had been holding Brett's legs up and stamping on him and this time he went for a, a sort of single leg leg drop to the to the groin and Brett catches his leg and manages to apply the sharpshooter whilst they're on the ground. For me, if I was being critical, I think the submission came a bit too quickly. Uh, you know, as Brett had only just sat back and the referee's calling for the bell. If they could just tell that for just five seconds more, I thought that would have been uh, that would have been a, a perfect finish to it. But yeah, I thought really, really enjoyed this match. I don't think there's any doubt about it, Chris. This was the best match of the of the show and a, a great breakout moment for Bret Hart who owes a great deal to Mr Perfect for everything he did to make him look like an absolute star in this match Yeah uh, Definitely the most wrestling based match you'll see on this card and a couple of things <laughs> I enjoyed but it's uh, a great theme uh, on commentary because uh, Perfect you notice he grabs Bret's hair but he makes sure the ref doesn't see it so when Bret goes yeah. to do it back the referee does see it and the referee gives him any trouble for it and uh, <laughs> Heenan's given out to him, well, why is he grabbing Perfect's hair? And then Piper wants him to point out, well, he's just doing what he did to him. And he goes, you can never grab a hold of Bret Hart's hair, it's too greasy, you'd slip. And like, there's also a good point where Hart caught him with a crucifix early in the match, so then he goes for it again, and mm-hmm. uh, Perfect Cat holds on to it and just drops down like a version of a Samoan drop, which is pretty cool. And yeah, like you said, I was going to mention the people had kind of the pair of, like, the only one I can remember, and I know there's two, but the one I can remember is, I think the Warrior did it. Uh, the previous Survivor Series back when he was still world champion, but I think not a lot of people would remember that, so they can still hype that up as a big deal. I think maybe the submission happened as quickly as it did is because maybe they wanted to save like Perfect's back or whatever, because they knew obviously the back it takes as much damage as the legs in the sharpshooter. They went quick finish, get out of there. Uh, and I put in my notes here when it cuts to Helen and, and Stu after the finish, I went, Helen is happy, Stu looks like he couldn't give a fuck. It's so true. Like the the uh, in the nicest way possible, 
Stu just doesn't look arsed about his son, but you know that was the way that was the way they were back then. Um, it's Brett's first single title and the WWF winning the Intercontinental title. The crowd going saying, "What a match!" I've just checked my notes. I wrote five hundred words <laughs> on how good this is. I didn't do that for some English essays. Um, and uh, <laughs> Stu, Stu, like <laughs> thankfully ignores Lord Alfred when Brett turns up and <laughs> hugs Stu and Bruce. I was like, don't pay attention to the interviewer right now. Go and talk to your son. Um, I personally couldn't even really tell that Mr. Perfect was really badly injured. I found this out yeah. afterwards. And uh, I think he performed admirably for a guy who pretty much in the month before this couldn't even do one wrestling move. So very, very happy with this match. Right, okay, guys, we roll on now to a reel of promos. The first one, Hulk Hogan, a real American story coming to <laughs> pay-per-view this mm. October. I have never heard of this in my life. Um, Gary, have you heard of this before? Have you seen it? No, I didn't get it a global video either. And I don't think it's on the network. <laughs> <laughs> Sadly not. Um, and, and then rolling on, we get a promo from the Bushwhackers and Andre the Giant. Scott, Andre mm -hmm. is not looking great. He's on a crutch. His, his face doesn't really look healthy either. The backstory on this upcoming match is the earthquake attacked Andre's knee and that's why he is on crutches but you know at the same time he also looks fucking mental at the same time like he always does which I really appreciate that so it uh, led us nicely into the match that's just about to come up yeah I, this is what I, exactly what I put Andre's last baby appearance and he has to be associated with the fucking bushwhackers <laughs> the poor man has he not suffered enough <laughs> so, uh, thankfully um, on the other side of the coin, we get a huge debut as this is the pay-per-view debut of the Natural Disasters, one of my favorite OG WWF mm -hmm. tag teams. It's Earthquake teaming up with a freshly healed Typhoon, formerly known as Tugboat. I don't know why they, they ever thought that, that that name might get over. <laughs> Managed by Jimmy Hart, taking on the Bushwhackers with Andre Piper begs them up straight away. He says, this is living proof that Chernobyl happened. <laughs> which if you think about it that was fresh in the minds at that point wasn't Chernobyl in like 86, 87 something like that um, Murray, do you know what age earthquake was at uh -huh. this point funnily enough right and, and one of our earliest ESSR shows that I shared Scott pointed out to me he was like do you know that earthquake's dead young and I was like no and uh, looked it up and Gary revealed what age was earthquake despite his big uh, I don't know like <laughs> <laughs> Big mass here. What age do you? What age was Earthquake? Well, I think I will start by saying Earthquake clearly had a rough paper round in Vancouver. I think that's where he's from. <laughs> uh, if I've done my sums right, he's twenty eight at this point and looks absolutely terrible for a twenty eight year old. <laughs> absolutely terrible. Um, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, it looks I, like he was born with a beard. <laughs> yeah, he does. Like, I thought it was funny in the promo. You really see the difference between like earthquake and typhoon. Like, typhoon has the nicely shaped beard. He has no chest hair. Whereas earthquake is like every inch of him's covered in hair. Prince Albert looks at him and goes, "Woof! I'm going to try this gimmick." Um, <laughs> but do you know what? Um, earthquake probably could have been a main eventer in the WWF at this time if Hogan wasn't on top so much and mm. I'm glad he got a little bit of a sort of main event flirtation when he eventually ended up in WCW um, so 
yeah, th- this match, it doesn't deserve talking about very much. I personally have been watching wrestling for 22 years. I've still no idea who Luke and Butch are, like which one's which. Um, Gorilla, the highlight of the match, says that the Bushwhackers have enjoyed a lot of success in the WWF, whacking their way through everything. Liked it. Um, and of course, Earthquake ends the match with the Earthquake splash. In my notes, I wrote, he's only 28. <laughs> yeah. I mean, of the people, t- I mean, that we've, we've just talked about Earthquake's personal grooming. <laughs> uh, and of the members of the Natural Disasters to teabag you. Uh, <laughs> I mean, neither one of them's a winning choice, but at least one of them uh, probably does a bit of manscaping. <laughs> <laughs> we we know that Earthquake is not one of them as well. The Bushwhackers uh, were brave. I can't think of any reason that I'd want to bite Typhoon's arse. <laughs> um, it was a, I thought this was a bit of a fun match, a six-minute match. The Earth, uh, Bushwhackers were good fun when they had a wee bit of offence in it, but it was... Uh, a real change of pace, wasn't it, after the Intercontinental title match to get this? The, the sort of hottest part of the match probably the post-match shenanigans, wasn't it, when we had the LOD come out with, uh, to, to save Andre from the natural disasters. And uh, as the disasters fleed, they got um, whacked with Andre's uh, crutches. I know the sight of Andre walking towards him when he was waving over these heads almost like a pair of nunchucks <laughs> those crutches I can't think I'd want to take my chances with uh, getting clocked by a crutch off of off of the giant can I, can I just read a couple of notes that I made here I didn't make many for this but I just been here Bushwhackers would not last during the COVID era of wrestling <laughs> after a uh, earthquake attack when the Bushwhackers on the outside for some reason the ref thinks the guy on crutches did it because uh, like the referee just looks at the outside and yells at Andre Earthquake stomps around the ring before delivering his finisher a young Randy Orton takes notes <laughs> yes yes uh, here I love the Earthquake stomp I, I must I must admit I could, but you know uh, is, that sh- you, is that you saying you would rather be teabagged off the Earthquake then Chris <laughs> that's a really good point what would you rather take Earthquake's splash or a, a good licking from the bushwhackers. You, uh, that, is, that, is not, that is not a fun decision to have to make. Also, the uh, famously from New Zealand tag team, uh, Gorman Sinclair, have Americana running through them. Yeah, there's a lot of this. There's a lot of yeah. this. It happens later on as well. But do you know what? The less said about that, the better. Right, we're going to run on to our reel of promos before hitting our next match. During... The Natural Disasters versus the Bushwhackers. Bobby Heenan leaves the broadcast booth because he hears that Hogan has arrived and he's going to tell him to put up or shut up. We cut to Hogan's dressing room and holy shit, he has the NWA big gold belt in his hand. We've spoken about this on a previous show, Most Impactful Debuts, I think it was. Um mm-hmm. So I've spoken at length about how cool I think this whole WCW belt being on WWF TV thing is. Go and listen to that show. But I've never seen this skit before. I think that it's so cool to see this happening. It's absolutely wild. Bobby Heenan tries to get Hulk to talk about uh, Ric Flair. He slams the door in his face. He says, you wouldn't do that if Ric Flair was here. 
Flair hasn't even officially signed at this point. He wouldn't do so until a week or two after this pay-per-view, but it's mad to see them talking about the belt with the belt on TV. Next promo, Randy Savage on the Superstar Hotline. He tells the a caller that he won't tell them where their honeymoon is in case he calls back Miss Elizabeth and tells her. That's brilliant logic by Randy Savage. Great news. Don't do that. And then our final promo before our next match is the Million Dollar Man. He's been demeaning Virgil, which is what set up a match mm -hmm. between them for the Million Dollar Championship. Again, I thought Million Dollar Man doesn't need a manager, so why is he yeah. with Sherry? And then my logic was, well, he's got enough money, so he might as well pay some people to help him out. So... That was our run of three promos. Uh, Scott, what do you think about Ted, the Superstar Hotline, Bobby Heenan? Lots going on. Yeah, it was, it was just as well that they had a big uh, printout with, in tiny little letters, Hulk, outside the door. Otherwise, we wouldn't have been able to tell whose dressing room that really was. Uh, <laughs> and it is weird. This is maybe the NWA like, big gold belt. And it is technically a kind of a comedy segment. Uh, Monsoon claims that... Uh, Ask Heenan if his hands are going green for touching that other title at one point. So in like the loyalties and it's weird like the promos that Heenan would get basically demean the WF title by comparison. He said he said in the lead up to this uh, comparing Hulk Hogan to the man who holds this is like comparing ice cream to horse manure. Uh, also a weird line from Manny Savage I caught was he said to like, whoever he was on he goes you know it's a bit too direct we haven't known each other that long so I don't know what the hell that guy was talking to Randy Savage about. Uh, and plus, I like to think this is just Randy Savage's everyday voice. Like you phone him up to say you're meeting him for a night out, and he and he talks exactly as he did in this segment. I actually wondered this later on when we get to the vows. I was like, does he just talk like that all the time? But I think the general word is he does just have that gravelly voice. Yeah, when you see the wedding later on, I'm thinking like it's like I doubt that their actual wedding was any different to this. <laughs> like I imagine Randy probably came out to his own entrance theme as well. Yeah. <laughs> He definitely wore that suit. <laughs> I loved um, the other commentator's reaction to Heenan getting the door slammed in his face. Uh, they were pissing themselves laughing. And when Heenan eventually reappeared and how they were teasing him, I thought it was really good, really good fun. I agree with you, Chris, about uh, Sherry being with the Million Dollar Man. Kind of, that Virgil made sense in the sense of him having a servant but he didn't need a manager and uh, he certainly didn't need Sherry for that I thought, um, I thought you know Teddy be also a million dollar man you know he's just he's a legend he's such a great heel and I thought the Virgil Teddy Biasi match had a great story and a really nice long build to it which uh, WWF when they do it well they do it really well and sometimes they just can't control himself but I thought um, the build to this match was was great and Virgil was, uh, here's the thing you never thought you'd say, Virgil was over <laughs> Yeah, first line of my notes for this match for the Million Dollar Championship, Virgil is in great shape and looks over um, the, uh, the commentators mention that Ted DiBiase has made sure in the contract for this match that the belt must be defended under normal WWF rules, I thought that was great like, oh it's the Million Dollar Championship, it's not an official WWF Championship, <laughs> Ted DiBiase walks into the ring, boots Virgil in the balls and pins him like <laughs> that's why you need the WWF rules it doesn't work um, 
I like that Virgil starts off the match hot. He just goes straight yeah. at DiBiase with Piper absolutely screaming in the background. Um, Piper is vocally in support for Virgil all the way through this. Um, yeah, a lot of back and forth in this match. Scott, did you did you rate this at all? I thought uh, I put my notes. Virgil looks out to the twenty thousand fans screaming his name and dreams of one day overcharging them to get a photo with him. <laughs> Because also, like Piper, I mean, talking about being supportive, there were points in this match I thought Piper was going to lose his voice. I mean, you can be up right up in the cheap seats of uh, Madison Square Garden, you probably could still hear Roddy Piper. So, if there's anybody who was up that, that section of Madison Square Garden, let us know. Did you could you hear Roddy Piper from there? Uh, well, I did. I did like that. Obviously, Virgil before this, I'd only had a handful of matches. So, in Keith, he's not a good wrestler. So, when he misses that slingshot to the outside, he sells it as if he's dead. Yeah. Uh, and then he locks in that million dollar like, dream and he can barely like, get it in. And I think the reason that they had uh, Sherry in because she tries to get DBS, like the, the DQ lost, that you'd keep the belt, but the referee reverses it. So I think maybe that's why DBS wanted her there. So he could try and escape with the belt, but obviously it backfires in the fa- favor of Virgil. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the match ends with, uh, well, the match initially ends because uh, Sherry clocks Virgil in the back for a DQ. Fink explains Hebner's decision for about 20 minutes, even though Hebner said about two words to him. Uh, the <laughs> match will restart. And um, even though, what is it? Even though uh, Earl Hebner is well within his discretion to disqualify Ted DiBiase. I was like, you didn't need to say that, but thank you anyway. Um, we get a 10 count in the corner punch from Virgil. I was a little bit disappointed because Texas... Tornado did the um, move in the corner less than an hour before. Piper screaming at Virgil, get up now, get up now, Virgil. Um, the ref gets knocked down, stops Million Dollar Man getting a pin counted after a pill driver. Thought that was very interesting. And the finish of the match, Virgil reverses Ted DiBiase into an exposed corner. Corner Crawls for the pin. One, two, three. Piper loses his mind. He sounds like he melts on commentary because he's just like... (laughs) And then final little note on the matches. Shout out to Roddy Piper for not getting in the ring Mm -hmm. and taking this moment away from Virgil. I really appreciated that they actually gave Virgil the chance to have the limelight on him. I'm surprised Hogan didn't run out and start making Virgil do the poses and all that. But yeah, Gary, another face goes over. We've got another title change. What do you make about Virgil? I thought when you strip this match down, it was quite a basic match. You had the hot start, the heel takes over, the the false finish, and then um, DiBiase almost taking him to school, getting over confident and cocky. You know, he delivered quite basic moves, suplexes. Uh, pile drivers were used fairly commonly back then, not so now but looked really devastating, but so complacent. He was in, you know, the referee was getting up. He kicked him back down because he wanted to inflict some more punishment. He was enjoying it, which then led to his, him getting his comeuppance. I thought it was a, in terms of, it was a basic match, well delivered and well executed. Um, and Virgil, um this was probably his career highlight. I don't think that's. I don't think he ever reached this sort of uh, height ever again. The post match pop was was incredible there. Um, but yeah, I thought it was a. I thought it was a good a good match as well, and certainly SummerSlam uh, 
is shaping up to this point. You've delivered the fans what they what they wanted with uh, all the faces winning so far, with the exception of the natural disasters. Yep. At this point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I was looking. At, I don't I didn't officially like time it, but like the time from hitting the DBS into the buckle and then him getting the pin. I'm pretty sure he took longer than Triple H did at WrestleMania 19. To <laughs> Everybody was happy when Virgil won, and yeah, I agree with uh, you, Chris. Like that, Piper didn't get in the ring, and but Virgil clearly didn't know how to express his his excitement over winning because he gets up and the first thing he does is take a bump. He just does a random front flip right. in the middle yeah, of the ring. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. excitement. It reminds me of when my dog doesn't know how to express excitement when somebody comes home, so he just grabs <laughs> an old slipper and shakes it about. <laughs> Virgil, the old slipper. Or where is Virgil the dog or Virgil the old slipper? Right, let's not even go there. Virgil, right. No, man. <laughs> we roll on to our next match. We're full of gimmicks tonight. I absolutely love it because the next match is a jailhouse match. The loser of the match will be dragged off to a New York police cell to spend the night. It's the big boss man versus the Mountie with Jimmy Hart. I thought about this. This match is kind of inevitable with two law enforcement officers yeah. in the WWF. Uh, the background here is that Bossman was attacked by the Mountie with a taser. The taser made some excellent noises as he was attacking Bossman. Um, the Mountie is instructing the cops to take Bossman away as soon as the match finishes. And I sort of looked, I was like, they don't look like wrestlers dressed up. These guys just look like New York cops, which I, I thought was a really good addition. Um, Big, Bo- Big Boss Man's music is excellent, although we don't get to hear it because he absolutely cheeses it to the ring to start fighting. I thought the Big Boss Man moves so quickly for yeah. a big guy. And I loved that both wrestlers wrestled in full gear. Like Mountie is in the full Mountie red outfit. Boss Man's got his sort of sash and walkie-talkie. Great gimmicks. Um, Gary, what do you make of this? Yeah, I, I love the pre and post match videos of this with the Mountie. I hated the Mountie. I absolutely <laughs> hated him. Um, and I absolutely loved the big boss man. I loved the, the videos beforehand where he was telling the Mountie, he was telling the cops he wants them to drag him through the halls and he wants them to shackle his ankles. Um, this was one of these matches. I, I loved the match because I remember being really invested in it and wanting the boss man to win. Uh, but 30 years later on, you know, you're back in it. Um, the match didn't match my rem- memories of it. I thought the match was a bit cumbersome and the crowd was a bit flat for it. Um, Big Boss Man is so agile for a man of his size there. And also I noticed uh, the mountain this match kicked out of the Boss Man slam. So there's another finish that somebody was kicking out ah. of, but he... He um, got put away with the sort of what was now referred to as the Alabama Slam, which did look pretty um, pretty devastating during the the match. The I think it's Piper says that the Mountie is the greatest. No, Jimmy Hart. Sorry, is the great. No, it's Gorilla Monsoon says of Jimmy Hart that he is the greatest walking advertisement for birth control. <laughs> yeah. 
for me, the stuff that the best bit about this match is what happened afterwards, Chris. So well, I won't talk yeah. about that just now. I'll well, let, let's go. Let's actually just because uh, it's spread out across the whole pay per view. So I just condensed it into one block because yeah. otherwise we're going to be at it for hours because it's all hilarious. So of course, the Mountie losing the match to the big boss man results in him being dragged off to jail. And there's so many highlights of this. I can just assume that they were like you know the 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 writers of this skit were just like mounty be pissed off do what you like and uh <laughs> just some of the stuff right as he's getting dragged off by the new york cops he says look we speak the same language let me show you and starts to read the miranda rights as if the cops are <laughs> going to be like oh yeah he's a policeman he's fine um all the way through this the police are just howling i was just watching all watching their faces laughing um when they're trying to get his mug shot he refuses to like reveal his face so the yeah. lady taking the the camera i watched this back a couple of times to make sure i heard it right she says so i heard the boss man kicked your butt and he he <clears throat> uh, uh, mounty jumps up and goes what and looks straight at the camera which is how they get his picture he tries to flip off the guy oh who's this is the this- best this is the best bit, Chris. You want a finger? There's the finger. <laughs> he tries to flip off the, the guy who's taken his prints so that he used his middle finger to take the prints. He's eventually thrown in a cell with two others and they kind of imply that another prison mate might want to have sex with them. And I know this is really horrible to look back on, but these jokes were really prevalent at the time, like weird gay jokes. So I don't really fault WWF too much because it's 1991 and this was, you know, I mean, every police academy film, every other big film of the early 90s all did the same thing. It's a little bit weird watching back, but the whole jail skit with the Mountie is brilliant. The last bit was very Blue Oyster Bar, wasn't it? Yes, exactly. That's what I was thinking of, the Blue Oyster Bar from the police academy. There was another good bit in it, Chris, where he's getting dragged through the sort of corridors of the police station and he then says, right, I'll walk, I'll walk. And the minute they let him go, he then tries to <laughs> run away. <laughs> Even though he's handcuffed and shackled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. Honestly, the the Mountie, I feel like, achieved very little in the WWF. Like, wasn't he an Intercontinental Champion for a day or something like that? Yeah. But in his time in the WWF, he left us with so many great moments. Um, yeah. I mean, the moment in the, the cell at the very end, uh, I think really goes back to uh, a moment that Piper said during the uh, the match. He said, "For the man, he always says he gets his man." He goes, "Well, if he spends the night in a cell, he'll certainly get his man." <laughs> um, and I, this match really went down in my estimation when I realised this wasn't the point where the man had his excellent "I'm the man" theme song. Uh, even though the, uh, and I was also disappointed that you said that we didn't get to hear the absolute anthem that is the boss man's hard times theme song. Yes. Uh, but yeah, he like he batters the Mountie for the majority of this match, and I mean, I'm trying to think maybe were they trying to transition from the Bossman Slam to the Alabama Slam as his finisher because it hits the Bossman Slam, kicks out, and there's very little time in between the kick out and then him just hitting the Alabama Slam. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they were just trying to get that over his new finisher. Mm-hmm. Uh, somebody clearly saved that sound effect that they used for the the kettle prod and saved it away until TNA needed it. The electrified steel cage. The electrified I mean, yes. something we skipped over was the build-up to this match. And WWF uh, did a few of these things with, uh, and it showed you the clip back of the boss man being handcuffed to the rope. The nasty boys, Jimmy Hart and the Mountie, are in the ring, and he's got the cattle prod. And 
and uh, and shock them with it. I remember watching that and that, you know being shocked by it, shocked by it. I felt like, oh my god, I can't believe they're doing this. And then you know, we'll probably talk about it later on. There was another even more shocking moment, but WWF did so you know because you wouldn't see these guys every week. And they'd be building feuds over a period of months. So there was very much less is more. So when something big like that happened, that was like proper, oh my God, moments uh, when you would get something like that in Superstars. Because quite a lot of time on Superstars of Wrestling, which was like the A show then, um, you know, it, not a lot would happen it's not like an episode of Raw or SmackDown now where there's like something of note that follows a storyline along the way. So that was the build of this match was quite, you know, had that cattle prod moment. The big boss man was quite shocking. We now get a, a reel of promos until our next match. So I'm going to take you through all of them and you guys can pick out the best bits. Um, oh, I did actually forget to mention, uh, I've brought this up on the show before. I think this is my fun, fun little tidbit is that when, of course, the boss man is dragging Mounty out of the arena, they pass the sort of four corners spot, which is just inside the old entranceway of Madison Square Garden. I, I always think that that spot is quite cool because like that spot is where hogan ran in uh, at mania one with mr t that mm -hmm. spot is where savage hangs crush at mania 10 it's it's just this little little tiny little bit where lots of different wrestling moments have happened i don't even know if that corridor exists anymore last time i saw madison square garden i think it's now a fire exit or something like that but yeah it's just it's just a cool little thing to spot first promo Million Dollar Man is back with Sensational Sherry. He is incensed at what happened tonight. He said, never in the history of wrestling has there ever been a bigger rip-off rip than what happened here tonight. And I was like, DiBiase, didn't you watch Hell in a Cell 2019? <laughs> <laughs> uh, Bret Hart comes out for his promo. He says, this has got to be the greatest day for the hitman. There's no such thing as perfect. I thought I quite I quite like that. It's quite inspiration for, inspirational for the young kids. Yeah. And he says, "Mr. Perfect, you're just not good enough." Um, we get a promo from the boss man with the best joke of the night. What kind of bird can't fly? A jailbird. He <laughs> says, um, "I am the law and order in the World Wrestling Federation." And I thought, there's quite a lot of employees in the WWF. Could we not have had two law enforcement officers? Especially mm -hmm. like, does the boss man have jurisdiction in Canada? And what happens when they go and have events up there? Don't they need the Mountie for those situations? Um, Macho Man's the next one. He, I, I don't know. It's really confusing. There's lots of just people talking over each other. Gene is trying to interview him, but he's currently on the Superstar Hotline at the same time. And somehow nobody laughs. I was so impressed by it. Um, then we get our jail skits. Uh, Jimmy Hart and the Nasties came out. Um, I, I liked that heading into the Nasty Boys match with Legion of Doom, the Nasties at least give an impression of being fearless as they make it look like they have a chance against the Legion of Doom later. Of, of course, um, Legion of Doom have their promo next. Uh, the match is announced as no count out, no DQ. Thought again, that helped the Nasty Boys. Um, the Legion of Doom absolutely bury the Nasty Boys by saying the natural disasters have bitten off a little more than they can chew. We'll meet them somewhere down the line. And it's just like, oh, well, they're not concerned with the Nasty Boys <laughs> at all. We get a promo from the Triangle of Terror, which is Slaughter, Adnan and Mustafa. 
they'll be they talk about being outnumbered before the match even starts they talk about Hogan and Warrior as the immortal slime and the ultimate puke um, now I have one issue with this <laughs> Sergeant Slaughter says that Hulk Hogan looks like he's lost about six gallons of blood six gallons right six gallons is 48 pints the human body only has 10 pints in it Hulk Hogan is dead. <laughs> so, and the last promo before we get back to the wrestling is a promo from Sid Justice. Oh my God, I love him. He says, I am a man that stands alone. Somewhere Batista writes that down. Um, mm-hmm. And I I just wrote down here, Sid Justice should have been the biggest star in the company. It's a shame his hair looks so ridiculous and his top is so tight. So that is our reel of promos leading in to the tag team championship match. Guys, what did you think of this? Scott, there was a lot to a lot mm-hmm. to take from that. Yeah, I wonder what happened with what all these promos. Do they think that the live crew needed a bit of a break to go to the toilet or go to concessions? So just put a bunch of promos because I don't see many screens in the actual live, mm-hmm. in the actual building. So I don't know if the live crew even saw many of these promos, but uh, I put it for the slaughter of it when cartoon supervillain promo from Slaughter and Company. All that was missing was, before I cut to show me, was, meanwhile, at the Legion of Doom. Uh, <laughs> also put uh, co- cocaine-fueled shouting promos from the Nasty Boys and L.O.D. Uh, and I put a uh, quiet, soft-spoken, well-delivered promo from Sid. What happened to him? Because mm-hmm. years later, like five years later, in the same venue, he's going to win the world title from Shawn Michaels. But by then, he's the shouty. He's the master and the ruler who has half the brain, the judo. <laughs> what a moment I love that yeah I want to give a special shout out to Jimmy Hart's suit <laughs> and he always had these outlandish suits and he would usually change for like if he was on Nasty Boys he would go and put on a black sort of Nasty Boys spray painted suit and then so on and so forth but for the big shows he had these different suits made up and he had one for SummerSlam which was great uh, so a special shout out for Jimmy Hart's suits. I suspect that's where Seth Rollins is going to get his <laughs> current wardrobe from uh, as well. But yes, um, yeah, I think you're probably right about the live crowd. They probably use this as a bit of a break, which does make the whole existence of the IRS versus Greg Valentine match questionable because you think that was the, the, the toilet break match of this show. Yes. That leads us nicely into the WWF Tag Team Championship. It's the Legion of Doom, Doom, Hawk and Animal taking on the champions, the Nasty Boys. They go right at them from the bell. Um, (laughs) And uh, commentators talk about how this match is no DQ. And um, Heenan points out, it sure is easy to attack people when you're wearing shoulder pads with spikes. (laughs) (laughs) I <laughs> thought that was good. Yeah. Um, th- this match flies by fairly quickly. Animal hits a powerbomb on Sags in the ring, which I thought was quite cool. Um, the Nasty Boys make it look like they're going to put up a bit of a defense by spraying Hawk in the eyes and hitting him with an ice tray just to sort of prolong the match. But before long, Sags hits Animal with the motorcycle helmet. It does nothing. Hawk replies, on knobs with the helmet as well hits the doomsday device on knobs and we have 
new champions. The crowd go freaking mental. Uh, Piper says that's what champions are made of. We saw it with Hitman, we saw it with Virgil, and now we see it with the new tag team champions. I'm not sure what he meant it was, but I thought it was a nice sentence all the same. And of course, Legion of Doom slash the Road Warriors become the first and only tag team to win the WWE, NWA, and AWA World Tag Team titles, winning AWA in 1984, NWA in 1988, and then the WWF tonight. Scott, what'd you make of this match? It really did fly, fly by, but I was surprised to write down the following phrase, uh, good tag team fundamentals from the Nasty Boys, because I've never been a fan of the Nasty Boys. But, you know, they were cutting off the ring. They they, cho- they were choking hot for the tag rope at one point. They were trying to draw Animal in so the referee would try and get him out of the ring and they could double-team uh, Hawk, which made me wonder, like, why is, why is the ref so keen to get Animal out if this is no DQ and they keep trying to do stuff behind the ref's back if it's no DQ and they keep reminding us that it's that? Uh, there was an interesting spot where it looked like uh, Animal was going to duck, allowing one of the members of the Nasty Boys to hit the other with the helmet, but he stops himself and then hits Animal in the back. Uh, you'd have to be careful when mentioning the helmet spot, especially given that one of the guys in this match is called Nobs. So careful when you see the phrases <laughs> like Nobs uses his helmet uh, as a weapon. But yeah, it's very quick. I mean, we talked about it in the LOD uh, feature show that maybe like, they probably should have been challenged for the belt sooner because they didn't do much for the first year. You know, they caused demolition the belts, but never have a match with demolition. And, and that's the way we're very much transitional from the Heart Foundation so that Brett could go and do a singles win to then drop them to LOD. And they're already teasing at LOD where you natural disasters so it was very much the most predictable outcome but you know the crowd they were still over in the crowd so it wasn't really didn't really matter to them that they'd waited this long and yeah it was it was like probably one of the biggest pots of the night and probably one of the earliest examples of a pay-per-view in the WWF where every title that was defended changed stands yeah, yeah. Less um, than Gary, Gary, were you, Gary were you a fan of Legion of Doom at this time? Oh, massive fan uh, of them. Uh, less than eight minutes this match was, seven minutes, 45 seconds. Um, there was so much about their style, you know, the presentation was was phenomenal. Uh, they looked uh, incredible. Their moveset was devastating, and as we subsequently learned, it looked devastating because it was devastating. They, they laid it in. The Doomsday device, I, you know, I'm going to put that up there with the, the teabag and North Earthquake as a move that I wouldn't want to take. <laughs> uh, and the one bit that I wanted just to call out this match is at the end, they hit the Doomsday device on Sags and Nobs tries to slide into the ring to break up the pinfall. And he gets absolute, an absolutely wicked looking putt kick from Hawk. I just thought that looked, you know... It looked incredible. It reminded me almost of Captain Kirk kicking that Klingon in <laughs> Africa. Uh, sorry, Star Trek uh, Four was that one. I've had enough of you. <laughs> so, uh, I thought it was great, but no, I absolutely loved the LOD and me where I, I don't think we'll see a tag team. As, as I can't see there being a tag team that reached the heights of popularity and status that the LOD had ever again. Yeah, I think you're right there. Um, it's annoying because obviously they are massive dicks, but they were <laughs> so over with the fans um, and it only would have ever made sense for them to be the wrestlers to win this trifecta of belts. I think as well, uh, Scott, you are our official New Japan representative or Japanese wrestling representative. 
but I think Hawk as well is the only man to have done those three belts and the All Japan tag belts, I think. I think, I mean, I know they were very popular in Japan and, and Hawk has that run with Power Warrior after, uh, in 1992. Uh, I'm not entirely sure if, they've, if, they've, if they won the tag gold when they were there. I wouldn't be surprised if they, they didn't. Yeah. Well, that was the dizzying highs of um, this pay-per-view. Let's now get to the pitiful lows with the official piss break match. It's Greg the Hammer Valentine taking on IRS and IRS's debut WWF pay-per-view appearance. As IRS, it has to be said, um, it needs to be remembered that Mike Rotunda was at WrestleMania 1 as the US Express alongside Barry Windham uh, losing the tag belts to... Oh, I'm trying to do this from memory. The Iron Sheik and Nikita Call. No, they were... Who was it, it was again? She- I think it was Sheik and Call. Oh, yeah. One, yeah. Yeah, okay. Thank God for that. Um, what is Valentine's entrance music? It's, it just sounds like metal banging together. Is that supposed to be an anvil? Either way, um, Heenan <laughs> sets us up nicely for this match by saying absolutely deadpan. This will be a good match. Um, <laughs> the highlight of this is uh, finally we got we get mention of what is going on behind the scenes. Gorilla Monsoon says there's a rumor Jake and Taker have been seen somewhere here at Madison Square Garden. Remember that for later, folks. Mm-hmm. Um, Greg goes for the figure four. Where is Ric Flair when you need him? He <laughs> <laughs> doesn't get it in. He hits the flying dick headbutt and gets rolled up by IRS for one of the few heel wins on the card. This is Greg Valentine's final WWF pay-per-view match proper. He's in some sort of... some. I think he's in the Royal Rumble after this, and I think he's in some other, like, non... He was one of Shawn Michaels' knights at the Survivor Series years Very later. well remembered. Very well <laughs> remembered. Um, I feel like that match starts a really good storyline, but the match itself is yeah. men's... <laughs> But um, yeah, so yeah, 17th appearance on pay-per-view. Mad to think. Uh, well done, Greg, for getting a, a good innings. Um, Gary, I, I don't know if your lines are more than three words like mine, but what do you think? Uh, not much more. I mean, it was a match that screamed wrestling challenge, not a pay-per-view quality match. Um you know, Valentine had a great career. Uh, one of the things that he did in that match, which you don't see today, he had his signal for the figure four leg lock when he was going to do his finisher, where he sort of... The lasso. <laughs> yeah, that was it. He also, in, in the earlier days, he used to wear a shin pad, and when he was doing the figure four leg lock, he would, like, turn the shin pad round as if it applied extra <laughs> pressure onto it. Yep. Um, I remember this from the Garvin feud. Yeah, but one of the bits that uh, that stood out in this match for me was nothing to do with the match himself. It was Gorilla Monsoon's ability to name random body parts or make them up. Now, I don't even know if I've got collateral lag- lateral ligaments or not, but, if, <laughs> um, but he, Gorilla thought IRS did, and they were taking a hell of a beating in this match, those collateral lateral ligaments. But yeah, this match was about uh, seven minutes. And uh, I mean, if you're going to go back and watch this show after listening to this, I probably would skip this match. I don't think we're going to miss out on anything here. Yeah, um, it's mad, Scott. Uh, Greg Valentine has wrestled with the WWF since before 
WrestleMania 1. He was around for Vince Sr. I think it's mad that... I don't know. I don't remember a single thing he did. I remember the Ronnie Garvin feud from whenever that was. Um, but I, I don't remember anything about him other than this. Yeah, I think he went to Mania 1 as the Intercontinental Champion as well. And then, then the second Mania, he was uh, the Intercontinental. He was tag team champion with uh, Beefcake when they were the dream team. But other than, I think that was the height of his career. Oh, come on, Scott. The height. Riffleman Blues. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Where he would dyed his hair black and <laughs> didn't even try and pretend to play the guitar. <laughs> I forgot about that as well. Um, I, so I what, forgot about that as well. So what you're telling me is uh, all Greg Valentine needs to do to win the Triple Crown is to win the WWF Championship. He's Very only got one yeah. piece left. So yeah. yes. uh, rest in peace, Greg Valentine. He's not dead. It's just his WWF <laughs> pay-per-view yeah. career is over at this point. You could have taken this match off of the card completely and the, the, the card wouldn't suffered one iota. I mean, <laughs> we talked about rough paper rounds earlier. Greg Valentine was born for it and grew into it. Like, right. So that leads us nicely to sorry, sorry. Just, before, just to say that he came back remember he came back to WWF in like 2004 and he he kicked around for a while because he would like wrestle uh, randomly on like um, Velocity or whatever the B shows where he was he was kicking about in WWF from the early noughties for for a bit um as well, that is wild. I did not know this. I've read it afterwards, yeah. But he came back and because they did the same with Hacksaw Jim Duggan, I don't know if you remember that as well. That Hacksaw was like mm-hmm. just to have somebody a bit more experienced to work with some of the the raw talents on dark matches and these random uh syndicated television shows. Good on him. I, I, it always makes me, and I mean this seriously, actually, it always makes me happy when you watch back these old events and there's wrestlers on them that didn't die young. Like mm-hmm. Greg Valentine is a healthy 69 years old and still does conventions and public talks. And yeah, good on him for not banging hundreds of drugs in the 90s and 80s like everybody else did. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. That I mean, leads isn't that. Sorry. It's hard for him to die young when he's never looked young in the first place. Yeah, that's true as well. Yeah. That <laughs> leads us that leads us nicely into our wrestling main event of the show is the match made in hell. Sergeant Slaughter, the Iron Sheet, Colonel Mustafa taking on Hulk Hogan and the Ultimate Warrior. We get a promo from Warrior and Hogan just before the match. Hogan bigs this up, even though it's an absolutely nonsense match. He says, I've got the same feeling as the night I won the WWF Championship, obviously when he took on Sheik the last time. Um, he says, if we don't win, wrestling history might change again. I was like, what does that mean? Uh, what? Um, but yeah, he says, we will walk side by side with all the Warriors on our backs. And Warrior kind of gives Hogan a bit of a hug at the end of the promo, which I thought was nice as well. Um, the first man out here is our referee, Sid Justice. Um, Heenan correctly points out something, which I thought was quite interesting. He says Sid Justice doesn't act like a normal ref, so he could be on someone's side. I thought that was quite smart because uh, Sid Justice comes out and poses, even though he's a ref. But whatever. Um, it was a great decision by the WWF to give Hogan and Warrior separate entrances. Um, they both just managed to get a pop in, which I thought was brilliant. Warrior's entrance is phenomenal. He blasts out. Piper says, do you think he's had his coffee? And Heenan says, this guy makes coffee nervous. 
Um, Gorilla points out Hulkamania is alive and well. And I think this is probably a good time to talk about this, Gary. This match, I think, is probably the end of Hulkamania because after this, Hogan's victories um, are all marred with other stuff. You have the Undertaker match, which has the uh, Ric Flair getting involved. You have the match with Sid Justice on the DQ. You got the match with Beefcake for the tag belts with the uh, count out. You've got the terrible win over Yokozuna. So I feel like this is the match where the old Hogan golden era ends. You know, uh, I'd never thought of that before, Chris, but now you say it, I think you're absolutely right. I think... um... I think this was the last run of Hulkamania and he was on the downward curve here. Um, the WrestleMania 7 match with Slaughter, um, you know, that wasn't, a, that wasn't a great, was it? And the, there's lots of theories and conspiracy theories over the, the show that it was moved from the bigger venue to the smaller venue, either because of security fears or because of poor ticket sales. I suspect it was probably the latter of the two. Um, but, you know, Warrior, uh, I mean, this match, as well as being having that moment attached to it, it, it has, the, this is the last we see of the Ultimate Warrior for a period of time, because he is allegedly, or reportedly, uh, held up Vince McMahon for, I think it was just over half a million dollars, before the match and um, had refused to go out unless he got paid and Vince was quoted as saying that he couldn't wait to fire him after the match was finished, which he he did do and he disappeared until WrestleMania 8 when he came back. But Hogan in his prime, which uh, this era, he was coming to the end of that uh, amazing run. I think it's, you know, Hogan gets a lot of flack for his in-ring ability, and he's not the greatest technical wrestler in the world, but he was an absolute master at working the crowd, and uh, that was shown, I think, in this this e- this evening uh, pre and post match as well. He was he was so so good at that. Um, I thought Sid Justice looked incredible, and I quite also liked the story about whose side is he on, Chris, as well. Um, this was Slaughter's last appearance as the Iraqi sympathiser and I thought I liked the triangle of terror but it was clear looking back on it that Adnan and uh, Colonel Mustafa the repackaged at Iron Sheik were, were too old by this point they were really quite limited of what they could do so when you put that together with Slaughter Warrior and Hogan who also had fairly limited move sets. It wasn't the greatest in-ring spectacle, but uh, the crowd were so hot for Hogan and Warrior um, and it all. But yeah, really, really great point, Chris, about the the decline of Hulkamania. I hadn't really thought about it, but now you've said it. I can't make a counter case to say because everything that follows in this was kind of like a bit like, uh, but yeah. Scott, I was thinking about the how big this main event was and I dove way too much into thinking about it. So let's for a minute take out Survivor Series matches because they will always have, you know, give or take 10 men in them. This is the biggest main event in WWF pay-per-view history to this point. 
and will be the most wrestlers in one match, again, excluding Survivor Series, until July 21st, 1996, in your house international instant, when Shawn Michaels, Psycho Sid, and Ahmed Johnson would take on Camp Cornette, Vader, the British Bulldog, and Owen Hart in a six-man tag team match. So they really didn't like having any more than four people in one match. Yeah. I think it was very rare for them to do multi-man matches outside of Survivor Series. I think this is why they did Survivor Series in the first place. So it would be the place to have your multi-man matches. But it is interesting to see them explore another option. But even though it's three on two, and even with the intrigue of, of Sid, this is almost as predictable as the Nasty Boys LOD match as to who's going to come out on top. I'm wondering if Hogan mentions the exact date he won the title in the beginning of Hulkamania as another little sly thing to keep that in your mind for when the that thing about Hulk Hogan comes out on pay-per-view two months later because they advertise that again around at this point playing the exact same advert they played earlier in the night. Yeah. Also, another green line for them up next, the match being in hell, and he goes, oh, is the wedding up next? And <laughs> daggers rate it. Ian is like, you get, you're like, no, like, don't, don't say that. SummerSlam main events were... This is the fourth edition of SummerSlam, and main events were more of those sort of attraction type matches. As well, the previous year SummerSlam was the double main event, Hogan Earthquake, but the main the main event was the championship match between Warrior and Rick Rude inside the Steel Cage. And the year before that, we had a tag match with Zeus, Zeus and, and Savage against Savage. Uh... The year before that, we had the Mega Powers versus the Mega Bucks. As yeah. well, back in '88, was that? Yeah, I've never really thought about that. They do normally have a two-on-two tag match headline in SummerSlam, and you could also argue that like Adnan and Mustafa sort of make up one wrestler between them. <laughs> yeah, when, when Sergeant yeah. Slaughter is the one carrying your team, you know you've got an issue on the wrestling side <laughs> of your team. I did actually write down that Adnan gets in the ring. And he's probably in better nick than Iron Sheik is at this point. Although the only move he does is a back rake. He just does it over and over again and then tags himself out. Um, the, the finish of the match, Sheik slaps on the camel clutch, just like the move that he won the WWF Championship with in, I don't know, 1952 or whenever it was. And Ultimate Warrior has to come in the ring and break it up. That's the first sign of uh, the faces not behaving accordingly. Uh, Warrior hot tag and runs into Sid. And uh, uh, when Sid and Warrior are posing off against each other, I was like, oh, man, that would have been such a good feud. Um, Warrior is the face with Sid as the heel. They could even have traded the belts if you'd managed to keep either of these guys under contract in six mm-hmm. months' time. Um, Gorilla says, um, nice block by the ultimate one. And I was like, is that a play on the immortal one? Did you just try and merge their names? Um <laughs> Either way. So the finish of the match comes as Warrior gets a chair and chases off uh, General Adnan and Colonel Mustafa. He chases them up the back. Hogan, behind the ref's back, uses powder <laughs> to take yeah. out Sergeant Slaughter. What the hell is this? Gorilla calls it victory powder, which I liked. One, two, three. Hogan celebrates in the ring. He has got the win for his team. Uh, where's Warrior at this point? Can he not hear Hulk Hogan's music booming over the Madison Square Garden PA? Couldn't. Yeah, because there's no way that Adnan and Mustafa are that fast. <laughs> They're running out of the building. Um, and then when Hogan brings out Sid to celebrate with them, could Sid not have been like, Warrior, uh, we're going we're to go back to the ring. 
we're gonna we're gonna do the poses. Do you, do you want to come? Put the chair down. Just just come. With it. But no, um, there's no warrior as Hogan celebrates with Sid in the ring. Why does everything get so erotic? Uh, Hogan rips off Sid's shirt. They basically start caressing each other. He does this sort of like little. Uh, I'm going to look over your shoulder thing for the audience. And Gorilla speculates if this is the real match made in heaven. Uh, I don't know why. Um, I, I mean, I'm, I've got no problem with it. But it just, there's there's so much baby oil and it's just mm-hmm. all very erotic. <laughs> your definition of erotic and mines are quite different, Chris. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> So, yes, the match made in hell. What do you make of it, Scott? There wasn't much to talk about. Oh, I could not be less interested if I tried. Even with the whole side controversy and everything, I could not give up. I think the most interesting bit was, was the warrior chase-off because, one, he holds the chair like no human would ever hold a chair in their life. And then knowing that right as soon as he gets back there, he's got Vince waiting for him with that letter which you can apparently find it out there with the ending with the ominous line of this was a mistake on your part. We say like, do not fuck with Vince McMahon. Yeah, this is true. So this, this came out uh, way after the fact. Warrior basically fired. Well, I mean, technically suspended, but basically fired immediately after this match. After holding Vince up for the half a mil that Gary mentioned earlier, there's some talk as to whether or not Warrior was justified in what he did because at the time Vince was trying to change Warrior's contract and drop him considerable money whilst re-signing him to a new contract. Warrior, understandably, in this situation was like, well, I want to be paid just as much as Hogan. And then the other cool thing about this is, is that uh, way after, I think 2004 or something like that, the pay sheet came out from this pay-per-view and Warrior was paid the same as Hulk Hogan for this match. Um, there were some interesting tidbits like the Rockers and uh, the Berserker and the Undertaker and um, Jake the Snake were all paid sort of retainer money for this pay-per-view, effectively just to keep them in the background in case they had to wrestle if other people got injured. And the last little tidbit that I took from the pay sheet that came out was that the Nasty Boys earned more than Bret Hart for this match. Both were paid uh, 17 and a half grand for their match, but um, I think the Nasty Boys were paid an extra $200 each for uh, what was just written down as like draw money, I guess. If, maybe money for like being the champion at the time of a pay-per-view, something like that. But yeah, so the Nasty Boys earned more money than Bret Hart for this match. I don't know if that's um, appearance, uh, sorry, performance related. Maybe, maybe the extra 200 was to you know, help them be more willing to take the Buddy Doomsday device. Because, you know, people are very scared to take that move. Uh, and I think Warrior was slightly justified in that, well, he might feel he was justified because apparently, as they would in the time, they were multiple house show loops, like with multiple house shows in various parts of the, the country at the one time. Like one house show was headlined by Hogan as the champion, I'm assuming against Slaughter and maybe rematches from WrestleMania. But the other one was headlined by Undertaker versus Warrior. And apparently the Warrior Taker house shows were outdrawing the Hogan ones. So it's weird because actually, I think Warrior was out drawing Hogan house shows that he was headlined before he became WF champion and then afterwards, for some reason, whenever Warrior was WF champion, for some reason, he stopped drawing for some reason. So I don't know what that what the issue was there, but clearly he thought somehow, even though his title wasn't seen as a success by those in the company, he somehow still thought he was a draw on the level of Hogan. 
this pay sheet's fa- fascinating, Chris. I've just Googled it and found it. Here, the, the money they got paid was really interesting. Yeah, I, I spent oh, way too long reading into it last night and then thought, do you know what? This doesn't factor massively into the pay-per-view, so I wouldn't read too much. But yeah, it's, 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 it's just information I've never seen before in my life. The money yeah. the wrestlers get paid. So the Mountie got 20 grand for his match. The big boss man got 15,000 plus a 200 pound draw bonus, $200, sorry, draw bonus. That's, that's just fascinating. Yeah, I love it. And the Mountie earned every penny of it. Uh, Jimmy Hart got eight grand and a two hundred dollar bonus as well. And as you say about the God, Paul Bearer got three and a half grand and a two hundred dollar draw bonus, and he didn't do anything. Yeah, he wasn't on the card. It's absolutely wild. But when, or was he on the card? We shall find out more at the end yes. of the show. Uh, more on that shortly because it's time for our official main event. That's not a match. It's the match made in heaven between Randy, Macho Man, Savage, and Miss Elizabeth. The backstory here is that Macho Man and Elizabeth are in the ring being interviewed by Gene Oakland. And Macho Man says, I've been thinking about returning to the ring. And the first thing I wrote was, imagine being a massive Macho fan and finding out that he was only getting back in the ring to get married. You'd be absolutely raging. Um, Macho stares out Elizabeth and says, Elizabeth? I love you. And it's absolutely terrifying. Look in his eyes. Um, he sticks the ring right in Elizabeth's face and says, will you marry me? And in one of the most iconic lines, genuinely, I think this is one of the most iconic lines in WWF history, Elizabeth retorts with the emotionless, oh yeah, which, uh, yeah, I thought that was really, really good. Um Gary, you mentioned last night, or or Scott, I can't remember, um, that on the WWE Network... Oh, this is a scandal, Chris. (laughs) It's an an absolute scandal. They have removed the Together version of the promo package. So I literally paused the network and went on YouTube and watched the proper version. Um, I did the exact same thing. I I thought it was an absolute outrage that that had happened. Whoever is responsible for that has a lot to answer for. Because I, I loved that video package and it's plant, it's full, it's WWE, WWF production at its best. It's packed full of great moments uh, of Liz and uh, Miss Elizabeth and Macho Man. And there's loads of great bits in there from WrestleMania 4 where Savage won the title. But for every match, him and Liz came out with different outfits, yes. but matching outfits every time. I thought it was a wonderful. Um, a little video and it still brings a tear to my eye. No, it's a, it's a brilliant promo package. Do you know what I realised, right? And uh, I, I don't know if I'm going to offend anyone when I say this, but see Ms. El- Miss Elizabeth, she is the Princess Diana of wrestling. <laughs> um, and, right, so hear me out. She didn't say much when she was first introduced at the side of a, a man who did a lot of speaking for her. Um she never stepped a foot wrong. All she did was help people. Um, and she tragically died young to then be glorified for all of future eternity. I was thinking about that last night. I was like, Miss Elizabeth is Princess Diana. They, they, are, they are one in the same. So, um, yeah. Just, it's, First lady it, of wrestling is the referred to her ass, isn't it? Exactly. It's just, it, it, was, it, was, it was a really beautiful promo package. And uh, 
we'll we'll roll on now to the wedding itself. They have completely transformed the ring. They have set it up like a proper wedding. The first thing I thought was, did you take this earlier? I don't think you had time to do this, especially to wipe all of Hogan's sweat and baby oil off the ring. Imagine like uh, <laughs> uh, Miss Elizabeth's um, maid of honor walking into the ring and slipping on the baby oil. Um, I really liked the fountains that were at the corners of the ring. I thought it was a nice touch. Um, I, I, my first note was the best man. Who is he? The flower girl looks terrified. Uh, the ring bearer looks like a child demon. Who is the maid of honor? Where's her dad? I just thought, did they just get all of the real people? Is this like Macho's actual best pal? Is that her actual like best friend? Bobby Heenan during these entrances was priceless. When he, I still laugh when he, um, when the flower girls walk into the ring and then he, he mutters, "Little litter bug," <laughs> <laughs> and the ring bearer, he says, "The the ring bearer is really a midget." <laughs> <laughs> and At the least... macho man's outfit, Chris. Oh my god! Right, first of all, <laughs> let's try and describe it. Macho man is dressed akin to the the white Power Ranger in his sort of, sort of gold era, complete with massive gold hat with a massive feather that just about touches the scaffolding of Madison Square Garden. Um, Elizabeth looks beautiful as well, although looks terrified and slightly not arsed, it has to be said. I mean, albeit she did get married for real, what, seven years before this in 1984? No, yeah, seven years before this. Um, I liked that. Uh, Macho for his I do said oh yeah which I thought was a good touch yeah. I like that they didn't cut out any normal wedding stuff they just sort of went for all of it like you had all of the vows it, it wasn't your standard wrestling wedding um, Rand, again I have to stress Randy Savage's eyes when he looks at Elizabeth looks like he's staring into her soul um, <laughs> Piper's reaction to the whole wedding is a little bit over the top but I appreciated him going after Bobby Heenan nonetheless and that's that's it. That's how the pay-per-view ends. It ends on streamers and balloons. Everyone's losing their mind and everyone is so happy. And the pay-per-view ends with Macho and, Eliz uh, Macho and Elizabeth happily walking out the ring, off to live happily ever after. As I said yeah. at the top of the show, Scott, this was the happiest, most positive <laughs> wrestling pay-per-view in history. Um, I, I don't know. How, how can we review this wedding? <laughs> I know it's weird. I mean, I was upset with the together not being included. I'm pretty sure they reuse it. It's still on the network for the Raw where Stephanie and Tess get married, but it's not here. You know, it's just as annoying when I remember when I watched SummerSlam '93 for the first time and realized they took out "I'll Be Your Hero" for some reason. Oh, really? They have they? They, have, oh, they, they don't include it. Uh, yeah. Also, this is this goes to show the difference between the WWE fans then compared to now because this is New York. Remember. With maybe one of the harshest wrestling crowds in the world, and yet nobody's booing, nobody's leaving during this. But I would have thought it would have made sense to do that string of promos that we heard seen earlier uh, with all the vignettes and of the mighty going to jail at this point between the, the match being held and this, so they give them time to set up. But yeah, they seem to get it quite quickly. I put in my notes: Who is this best man? Where is the genius? Where is Lenny Poffo? <laughs> 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 Hell with kayfabe. Uh, Macho Man's hat, that big feather on it again, as I said, I'm, I imagine he brought something pretty similar to this on their actual wedding. Uh, 
you know, yeah, the little girl looked very terrified and the guy saying no marriage is not going to be rushed into harshly or anything like that merely makes you feel a bit sad when you realise I think they were still having marital problems at the time and would be divorced like a year later and yeah like it was weird like they try to create intrigue by saying oh because Matchaman takes his time in answering the I do's and everything they try and hype up the fact that maybe Matchaman will run out on the wedding and get cold feet or something like that <laughs> it's, it's one of the few ways that doesn't have any interference and then, mm-hmm. yeah, like you said, it just goes off the happy ending. And you have to wait till like the Coliseum video uh, version to get the, the reception. I think they play it on the next primetime wrestling or wrestling yes. challenge to show you what actually happened. More on that in, in just a few minutes. But before we get to the, the, the wrestling, uh, the wedding aftermath, Gary, what did you think of the wedding? Uh, it's the first, uh, at this point, I think it's the first wrestling wedding that goes off without a hitch and no shenanigans at that point. I cannot see it happening again in this way at the main event spot, but it just shows how popular uh, Miss Elizabeth and the Macho Man were. I mean, the Macho Man, the story with the Macho Man of the Macho King as he was come WrestleMania 7, losing his career, being reunited with Miss Elizabeth, moving into commentary, uh, and the, how they started to plant the seeds here for his inevitable in-ring return, and what followed this night, leading on to, I think, probably one of the most shocking angles in the history of the WWF with Jake the Snake and the Cobra biting the macho man when he was tied in the ropes which would then lead to um, the macho man and uh, Jake the Snake wrestling uh, this Tuesday in Texas I thought uh, that was quite shocking so that's I don't think you can look at this wedding in isolation it was part of a nicely built story uh, that worked its way up I went back and watched the full segment for because it shows you in the the clip of Macho Man proposing, but in that episode, I think of was Wrestling Challenge, you had Vince McMahon, Roddy Piper, and the Macho Man on commentary. Gene Oakland's in the ring, brings Miss Elizabeth out, is interviewing her, asks her about her views of the Macho Man and her views on marriage, which then prompts... Uh, and he, he talks about wedding bells being in their future which then prompts the Macho Man to come into the ring. I just thought it was a really well-told story. And um, because of that, the people were happy with that being the main event. It would never happen in this era. I cannot see a big four pay-per-view finishing with a wedding that didn't have any shenanigans attached to it for the live audience. But I just loved this. It's so romantic. Yeah. I think that it just shows you the significance of Macho and Elizabeth at the time because, like, they were painting them as American soap stars at this point. This was like something you would see in Days of Our Lives or something like that over in the US. Like, it was it was beautifully painted, and this this was their big end of season blow off. But guys, it doesn't end there because mm. our match made in heaven pays a visit to hell in the aftermath. Uh, I knew that something happened after the pay-per-view, but it's not included in the pay-per-view. You have to go and find what happened next on the internet, or as I did, went and found primetime wrestling from September 9th, 1991 in the aftermath of SummerSlam. So can I take you through it? 
Yes, please, Chris. So the show starts in a somber mood um, with Lord Alfred Hayes bringing out Sean Mooney and Heenan. Heenan is carrying the NWA title once again. More on that shortly. But they talk about how they're going to be bringing out Paul Bader and The Undertaker to talk about the heinous actions that happened after SummerSlam 1991. Paul Bader with The Undertaker explains that there's a dent in his urn that was caused by Randy Savage's head and they cut to the post-show of the wedding. Now, at the time, you did not have any means of watching this post-show mm-hmm. because this was released on the Coliseum home video at the end of September. Keep in mind, this episode of Primetime Wrestling was on the uh, 9th of September at the start of the month. So we go through the sort of wedding reception. It's excellent. They're being announced by Gene Oakland. He <laughs> brings mm-hmm. them out as Mr. and Mrs. Macho. I want. I wish I'd been able to book Gene Oakland to be the MC for my wedding. <laughs> I, I was thinking. I was like, of all the words and the Macho Man Randy Savage's name, you picked Macho as their last name. I thought that was interesting. So we're we're calling our Elizabeth Macho now. Um, when they cut the cake, that's particularly funny. As uh, <laughs> they go to pick up a piece of the cake after cutting it. And Randy goes, me first, and stuffs it in his mouth. And then eats Elizabeth's bit of cake as well. And be like, get out of here. Um, they go back and open their wedding presents. And there's some nice little tidbits. Like um, Randy Savage says, thanks for breaking a fiver <laughs> to, on one of the presents, which I thought was really good. And then just as they open the biggest present of all, which is on the table, they take the lid off. And Elizabeth screams, there's a snake inside. All of a sudden, Jake the Snake Roberts and The Undertaker are on the screen. Undertaker whacks Randy Savage with his arm, rendering him immobile. And Jake the Snake postures over Elizabeth holding the snake. It's terrifying. Elizabeth is screaming the house down, although she is like getting a sneaky smile in at the same time, which I sort of noted. Um, from nowhere, Sid Justice comes to the aid of Liz, which I really like this, and fights both Taker and uh, Jake off with a chair. On his way out, Jake is screaming. Um, uh, he says something about uh, bite the princess or something like that. Um, Jake also boots a wedding table over, which has about six people sat at it. Uh, yeah. It's just a brilliant scene. It is the the post uh, sort of post match scene of all scenes like if they put this on youtube after a wrestlemania these days it would get so many views um on back on wrestling challenge after they play the footage paul bader's just laughing to sean mooney and he shows off his album of pictures which he saved from the wedding and pulls out a small white photo book filled with pictures of just various moments of Elizabeth screaming. It's absolutely <laughs> terrifying. Uh, I stopped watching after that because they started banging on about the NWA title again, and we've already covered that in a previous episode. So that is where our SummerSlam 91 review comes to an end. Gary, what did you think about this crazy sort of post-pay-per-view event and how this factored into the whole story? Oh, I thought it was, it, it was great and signs of a simpler time uh, in wrestling where you're able to just enjoy the product for what it is and stories allow stories to unfold over time and uh, it set us off and running for some some stories. I think the Jake Hewton, the the, the ca- character 
took like a really really dark turn, and it's so suited him. And he, he, you remember, he changed his entrance music to having "Trust Me" at the start of it, and oh, uh, I just loved it. And as I said during the match, uh, when we're talking about the match made in heaven, the angle they did with the cobra was absolutely shocking. Uh, I can't imagine, you know, the internet would probably blow up if they did it uh, again uh, today. I just thought it was nice because this this pay-per-view, when you look at it, normally there are some loose ends, but we didn't get many of that with this show, did we? Um, Because all the good guys won. So the boss man's feud with the Mountie was finished. Bret Hart was finished with... Mr. Perfect, and so on and so forth. Um, so this gave us something to carry forward, uh, something big to carry forward. Um, I think one of the reasons that this show maybe stands out in my mind, Chris, is because it was packed full of those feel-good moments with the good guys winning the Bret Hart breakthrough moment, the LODs, championship win, Virgil getting the upper hand, the unusual main events as well it kind of like it's just a real for me it's a real feel good show and I've thoroughly enjoyed re-watching it and talking about it so before we boost you have to give us because Stephen started doing this so now I'm going to do it Stephen started asking people to give it a mark out of 5 so Gary Meltzer what would you score the whole thing out of 5 oh I'm probably going to go for uh, I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for four and a half out of five. I love oh, wow. the show. That's I love brilliant. the show. Uh, it's got I, I would have given it a five out of five, but there's just a few, you know, too many throwaway bits and amongst it. But I love the show. Loved it. That's brilliant, um, Scott. I know that. Um, so Gary obviously was watching this at the time. I know that you have, mm-hmm. you know, obviously gone back and watched all of this stuff. So how does this translate to you know slightly younger wrestling fan? And um, what what would you give the whole show? Yeah, I was trying not to judge it too harshly. You know, based on you know modern, you know, pro wrestling and everything. I tried to judge it for the time because you guys look at it with the exception of the uh, the IRS. Valentine match, which, like I said, I could have done without. Every match pretty much had a story and a reason to really be there, even though whether or not you liked it quality-wise or not. Uh, Heart v. Fair, even though it wasn't as good as their 93 match, was still you know, a solid you know, technical match for the era. Uh, basically, these are the two best workers of that time. I think I'm going to maybe go... 3.75 uh, <laughs> <laughs> I can't go as high as Gary uh, but I don't want to go too low either so there you go that's I mean, absolutely the fine the match being hell and the uh, the IRS match towards the end between between the tag match and the wedding really brought it down for a little bit for me I think um those are some great numbers because I was thinking four, which is sort of halfway and almost halfway in between both of your scores. Uh, there was a lot to like about this show. They found ways to get all of their, well, just about all of their superstars involved in some way. In fact, if you include the post show as well, they even found a way to get Taker and Jake involved as well. Would have been nice to see the Rockers in there somewhere. Like you could have bumped the Bushwhackers but and had um, the, the Rockers just getting flung about by the natural disasters for a wee bit. But then you wouldn't have had the Andre storyline and it was good to see him on the card as well I thought um, as I banged on about earlier this was such a delightful end to the Hulkamania era proper 
Um, we touched on this ever so slightly earlier, but see those pay-per-views where Hulk Hogan ends it in the ring, celebrating with the crowd going mental. I have never had any issues with those. If, if people will criticize Hogan in the same way that they criticize John Cena today, if your crowd are going mental with your main guy in the ring, losing his mind, making them go mental, I've always thought that that is a good thing. So um, the, the WWF were, were just money at this time. And they found a good way to make, you know, not so much Warrior, but they definitely found a good way to get Savage and Hogan having sort of equal platform in this pay-per-view without them having to be in a match together, which they'd done many times in the two years prior. I think as well, like minutes after this, the whole, you know, the whole WWF was completely different. If you look to Survivor Series, it's Undertaker and Hogan and um, all of the other um survivor series matches and oh wait now rick flair's here and oh wait hang on sergeant slaughter's back to being a face again and and all mm -hmm. sorts of things have changed um between between this to survivor series to this tuesday in texas and the falling wrestlemania wwf is a completely different place and behind the scenes as well it's completely different again because the steroid scandals happened. Hulk Hogan's been on the Arsenio Hall show and lied. So everyone's turned on him as well. Vince McMahon's getting torn apart in the media. So this moment, this moment in August 1991 is such a turning point for the WWF. So it's, it's good for them to have signed this off like this, I think. So that pretty much wraps our review of Survivor Series 1991. Gary and Scott, thank you for your masterful insight to this. Gary, was it good to, to revisit? It was great, and uh, our average score, Chris, is 4.1 out of 5. So that's a pretty pretty high score to give a, a show. I would encourage anybody that has not watched the show to go back. Uh, go out your way, watch Mr. Perfect, Bret Hart. Um, it'll be well worth taking those 20 minutes out of your day to do it. But thank you guys for this delve back into time. Yes. Um, so next time out, I had to check the sketch, but next time out, we will be jumping significantly further into the future. And we will be analyzing, diving in and critiquing the career of the, the Monday night Messiah, the Thursday night Messiah. He's the Messiah of every day of the week. He's achieved everything there is to do in wrestling. The next thing he needs to do as well, it's early August. SummerSlam this year, maybe we could get another wedding uh, on the card, maybe with this man. We're talking <laughs> about Seth Rollins, one of the best wrestlers to emerge of the last decade and the WWE spent a long time carrying the company on his back. And uh, yeah, I'm quite excited to dive into this one. Scott, you're on every show. Are you on this show? Uh, no, I'm not on that, that show. Uh, so I won't get to be able to talk about that glorious selfie that uh, got leaked uh, that one time, but <laughs> that show did not feature... Everybody, everybody in the panel trying to do their best impressions. You as the best version of Seth Rollins' laugh. Then what's the point of even doing that show? Ex exactly. You're so right. Well, thank you guys once again for joining us. And thank you so much to the listeners as well. Remember, you can get all of our stuff. Just search Eat Sleep Suplex Retweet. We're all across your favorite podcasting sites and YouTube as well. And on the social medias, plenty more posts on there as well. And we'll see you next week for our focus on Seth Rollins. Goodbye. And I never felt like this.